I lost 90% of my business overnight. Never in my life since the beginning of time have I ever thought about financial success because I believe money comes and goes and I'll be successful always, anyway, regardless. You can't let yourself slip up once. You have to be on top of your own shit all day, every day. I'm very resilient and I'm incredibly self-empowered to know that no matter how difficult things get, I know I'm going to be okay. If I don't feel my feelings, if I don't let myself have that moment, you don't process it and you hold on to it and you store it and you get sicker. How can we create something that allows us to have a platform for education, inspire people, have it be the healthiest product in the world, but also the quality that we're so obsessed with? And that's how the cell company's born. Now, I heard a story about you two weeks before you even had the final physical sample. Can you sell something like 6,000 units pre-sale? I had this one clear vision. It's every single cafe and, and coffee roaster has to know me by first and last name. It's 8,000 cups. It's a lot of money to outlay, but we believe in you. You've got six weeks to sell it, and we did it in two. Over the past few years, my life has completely changed. I've built one of Australia's most successful e-commerce startups, Happy Skin Co., generating over 10 million per year in sales and disrupting a billion-dollar industry in the process. I've now turned my passion for growth and personal development to bring you these honest and eye-opening conversations. This isn't just a business podcast. This is about the person underneath. This is about the journey. This is what it's really like. I'll be interviewing guests from all walks of life, each with their own unique perspectives and experiences, from the hardest day of their life to the biggest accomplishments and everything in between. My name is Dylan Mullen, and this is Life, Money, and Love. All right, cool. We're back for another episode today. We have Rebecca Vexler. So she's obviously known as the founder of Soul Cups. And I didn't realize this, that you're also the vice president of the Bondi Chamber of Commerce. Well, not anymore. Not I anymore. Was, I was. Okay. Yes, I was. What, first of all, what did that entail? Like So many things. Yeah. Um, oh, I love this question. I never get to talk about this. Um, yeah, being part of the Chamber of Commerce essentially is a volunteer role. We're not paid. And it's very passionate people who want to build a better community in the small business aspect. Mm -hmm. So I was the direct person between companies, businesses, local community people in the eastern suburbs and council. How was it like being involved in that group like throughout COVID? I'm sure like it was intense. Yeah, I, I actually stepped out of the role Probably it was 2020. Okay, so cool. I did. So it's it's been a little yeah, bit yeah. of time since. But I was such an advocate, obviously, for sustainability. And the the reason I got involved was because if I'm gonna start a sustainable company, I don't just want to talk about it. I want to make shit happen. Yeah. And that meant directly infiltrating my local community and my local government and my local council yeah. and taking action and actually making shit happen on the inside. Yeah. And Being a business owner, as you know, growth comes with your direct community and your bubble and your support system. Like that's where it starts, right? So I already had a beautiful relationship with every cafe shop and every restaurant and, you know, every bar and every bookstore and whatever. Because look, trying to like be that advocate for change, do you find it's actually easier independently through business rather than going through these like more traditional like political or council levels? It wasn't about easier. It was I wanted to hit every angle because being a business owner, it can also be a lot of talk. Mm. Like I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to make this happen. But I was actually going and sitting down with the local councillors directly involved in decision making and not just questioning everything they said, but giving them solutions for the red tape they kept presenting me. So it was I felt more in control and in more power that 
I was actually doing something. Yeah. And that makes you sense. Know? My question was going to be how you manage all of this with everything else you, you don't. do. So that's, that's, that's the answer there. Um, before we get into Soul Cups, I want to kind of go back a little bit because similar to me, your first business wasn't like necessarily a straight path. You had very different interests and passions in mm. high school. Can you kind of tell me what your passions were in high school and then where that led you immediately after? Yeah. So I was, I was one of those obscure people that just didn't want to be at school. I had a tough time. I had a lot of depression and mental health, you know, issues going on. And I was just never passionate about anything other than like the creative arts mm. and learning in all aspects. But I, I just like, I, I didn't go to math class. Okay. You never saw me <laughs> yeah. opening a textbook. Um, but I fell in love with ancient history and I fell in love with learning about leadership and success and the ancient strategies to what that looked like then. And in fact, how much it is the same now. Yeah. So I became an expert in all things, ancient history, the Augustan period, Roman times. Um, and I was excelling. Like I was literally like winning national awards yeah. kind of thing. So what, what were you studying specifically? I'm a little bit ignorant to ancient history. Yeah. I did ancient Egypt and that's all, pretty much all my knowledge for ancient history. But was this like, I'm going to sound really stupid here if it's way no, off like Socrates stupid. and that sort of stuff, philosophy, or is it a little bit different? It's It was specifically my obsession and passion was the Augustan period, which okay. was the emperor that came after Julius Caesar. Okay, so this is like the Roman Empire. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it was literally, he was the only emperor to live an entire life successfully reigning without being assassinated, killed, mm. um, without failing. And he actually took Rome to its prime elite. Okay. Time and nobody else could do that. Basically, mm -hmm. he was the only one. And after that, everything kind of stuffed up, and Humble. everything before him was shit as well. Yeah. So it's it's like the ultimate version of what success as a leader is. That yeah. was him. Okay, cool. So that's your passion, and then from school you'd start an archaeology degree, I believe. Yeah, dove straight into UNSW to yeah. do like ancient history, archaeology. I did art psychology as mm -hmm. well. Um, because I love language. I love the psychology of language and human behavior and it's all connected. And I kind of had a, a difficult experience with a professor yeah. and decided to drop everything. How long did it take travel. for you to, to, to drop out? Um, it was a year. It was about, yeah, about a year. And was it just that experience with the professor or did you realize that this wasn't for you? I realized that no matter how passionate I was and no matter how much I loved learning about all of this, it wasn't enough for me. Okay. Like what do it, you mean it wasn't was, enough? It was – my personality type is like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it better than anyone. Yeah. And I had this experience with these professors where I wasn't taken seriously because I was female and I – thought this is a load of shit and a waste of my time. Sorry for the language. Do you think that was by like your presence and you're a bit like how That's much? not my problem though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I no, was 18. Of not. Yeah, what yeah. presence? I'm 18. Yeah. I'm like the most innocent person in the world at that time. I wasn't thinking about anything other than writing this amazing essay. Yeah. <laughs> like so stupid but so like so in it. And I had these big goals. I wanted to go and work at Masada in Israel and go to Pompeii in Rome and like beat in it and yeah. like make shit happen. And meanwhile, instead of him taking me seriously and praising my work, I'm being failed because I was propositioned. Wow. And I obviously said no. Mm. Right. And what do you do with that at 18 when you're innocent and you don't really understand the depth, like the, yeah. the magnitude of this scenario? Obviously you understand it. I'm sure a little bit more now 
at course. your age. But what's going through your head at that time when you are 18, you're so fresh, you're so innocent, you're naive, and this happens? What, 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 what are you feeling? I was like, I need to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Like, this is, like, ridiculous. Like, mm. how can I just, I need to just remove myself from this environment and go and be taken seriously and reset. And I was working very hard. I did, like, double the amount of coursework you mm. were meant to. Okay. Because when you're yeah. passionate, it's easy, right? You're yeah. just cracking on. Yeah. And, yeah, I just dropped everything and left and did you tell, had fun. Did you tell your parents or your friends about what happened? Probably my friends, but yeah. I didn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't even a thing in my mind. Yeah, it was you just, just needed just to like, get out. You like, just like whatever. Move on. Was any yeah. part of that archaeological experience? Do you think any any part of you inside of your head knew that maybe it wasn't actually the best career move in terms of like financial capability for success moving forward? Was that a part of it? Or? I never once thought about that. Yeah. Never in my life since the beginning of time have I ever thought about financial success. Okay. That doesn't happen for me because yeah. I believe money comes and goes and I'll be successful always yeah. anyway, regardless. Success isn't how much money you have anyway. It's how happy you are. And like to Thank wake you. up and, exactly. and do, do what you love every single day. Yeah. Like if you could pay all the bills you needed to pay and you could be like working as an archaeological and all these dig sites and investigating all these like ancient artifacts and texts and you're happy, dude, you've already won. 100%. You know what I mean? 100%. Yeah. But, and that's with anything, yeah, right? 100%. And that's something I've had to learn as well. I learned really quickly and it's like easy to learn, oh, when you have a bit of money, that money doesn't make you happy. But now like I would much rather earn a smaller amount of money and get to genuinely do what I love every day than work like 12, 14 hours a day doing something I hate and be rich because what's, what's, the, what's the point? Exactly. Because mm. you're going to, you're not dying with your money. You can't yeah. spend it later. Yeah. You know, you might as well enjoy yourself while you've got the time. Okay, cool. And- you said something before, which I thought was really interesting, and it might come out later in the conversation, but you said you studied art psychology, yeah. and then you said it's actually linked to everything. Yes. Do you, have you used anything that you learned through your studies and your experience with like ancient texts and, and that psychology and the art that still is relevant today and that you use in business or life? Can I be really honest with you? Yeah. I don't think I learned a thing in university. Yeah. I was I was not present. I was yeah. not there. Mm. For me, um, I'm always learning, and I have a deep, deep passion for human behavior and psychology. And because of my curiosity and my passion, it is the reason I'm successful. Yeah. Because you don't, if you don't understand people, you don't understand business. If you don't understand people, you don't understand your employees. Mm -hmm. Like you need to create this environment around you and you need to communicate to your team, to your customers, to your partners, whoever it is you're working with or working for, you need to be able to ensure that what you're trying to express is actually being heard and communicated yeah. to. And that only happens when you understand people. I agree. And it's something that I feel like was part of my initial success in terms of the marketing for Happy Skin Co. Mm. I didn't have a business degree. I didn't have any corporate experience. Like I, I did law in uni. I lasted yeah. two months. Like I, I hated it. But <laughs> right then on. from mm. there, I hated that so much. I actually went and did acting and a big part of the acting training, I was acting for three, four years full time. And yeah. the, the technique I used was miser technique. And it's all about studying and observing human behavior and what motivates people and, and different things like that. I subconsciously didn't realize I was learning so many lessons that I could use in, in all facets of life. And I think initially why, why some of our marketing did so well with the business was because I, I didn't know like, okay, this is how you set up a marketing plan yeah. and you need to have this, this, and this. I just thought of, okay, put my head in the, in like the position of a buyer and like what would motivate me to purchase this product and what would make me interested in and coming from that place of like thinking as a human being and thinking as your customer, it's like, it's the simplest thing you can do and probably 100%. the most effective. It's particularly if you don't already have that framework, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? It, it it can be taught, but it also can't. Yeah. Like it, it it does come down to the reality. If we're talking about business owners and entrepreneurs and, you know, successful companies, the reality is that founder, that person driving the team, it has to be innately within you. If yeah. it's not subconsciously and consciously part of your awareness consistently and constantly, you actually can't have long-term success. It's not physically possible. It's a really interesting debate in terms of like it, it's, it's really split. Like are like – like business founders, are they born or are they like, yeah. like, can you create, can you, do you think you have to be born with it or do you think you can create that? What's your opinion on that? Um, my opinion is if you want it to be easier, you have to be born with it. Yeah. If you're not born with it and you want it so badly, yeah. you can't let yourself slip up once. Mm -hmm. You have to be on top of your own shit all day, every day, constantly learning, go to therapy, yeah. have a mentor, have a support system, have someone holding you accountable if not your, if you can't do it yourself because yeah. you're always going to slide back to your, you know, yeah. basic sort of, I don't, how do you say it, like how you're originally sort of yeah. programmed. And I think the most important part to that is like, is removing all the bullshit, removing all the ego and just being really honest with yourself and obviously not just being honest with yourself. You need to have that level of self-awareness to realize that, like, hey, what do I need? maybe I'm not meant to be the CEO of a massive company, but that's okay because really I don't really fucking care about that. I want to be <laughs> yeah, yeah. the creative director or I want to be whatever. It doesn't have to be. I feel like so many people think now it's like been put on a pedestal to be like, be the number one, be like up the top. And like that lifestyle isn't for everyone. Like it's, it's fucking hard. Do you know what I mean? Very, to be like, and I don't very. think I couldn't. It's, it's a service mm. driven role. Oh yes. You are at service all day. Mm -hmm. Like without a second to yourself, yeah. all you live for must be those around you. That is being a CEO, a founder, a leader. You're at service mm. constantly and you have to love it. Yep. You know, and not everybody can do that. Mm. It's tiring. It's draining. It's, you know, it's a lot. And that's something I've learned as well. And that's the two pillars. Like there's on one side, like to serve and like, you have to be of service, like to be the CEO, to be the number one in a business, you have to be really, really selfless. Yep. Like if you, particularly if you want to be successful and you want to be respected, you have to be very selfless. And it's like the difficult balance for me is like, I really aspire to be a great leader and to be of service to the people around me. But then at the same time, the biggest core value to me and my life, and I'm not saying value off the top of my head, like, okay, for, for what, like sustainability or, you know, like no, fitness. I'm saying core value for me as a person that I couldn't change if I wanted to is freedom. And now you can't live life with a full expression of freedom if you want to be that number one of a hundred employee company. Yeah. You just can't. I, I fully relate to that wholeheartedly because mm. it's also in me. I need freedom. I can't mm. be, you know, held down. I get claustrophobic. I want to run away and yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm very similar to you. But you can find that within that role. It's about, you know, setting boundaries, creating awareness for yourself and then ensuring that on top of all the service and the support that you create as a very strong leader, yep. you have to be consistently looking after yourself. Cause exactly. if you're not optimal, nothing else happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's you talk know? about that because I was going to, where, 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 I'll where, tell you the story. <laughs> yeah, where we're going with this is like, okay, burnout, right? For me, I know, and this is something that I've only really admitted to myself probably in the last 12 months, I would rather be the founder than the CEO 100% of the time. I would never aspire truly to how I want to live my life. I don't want to be the CEO of a hundred person company. Yeah. I would love to run team like, you know, a 10 to 20 
um, team and get to be able to have really close relationships with them and then be able to have other projects like the podcast so and experience my life. And then if I, I was running a business and it got to that point, it would be like an amazing privilege to put in a CEO who's going to do 10 times better than me anyway. 100%. But burnout. Now, you're someone who can uniquely ex- like talk about the experience of burnout. Can you take me back to kind of the process and all the things you were doing yeah. that led up to that, you know. Moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically that that year where I, you know, left uni and, mm. and went to go travel, had the most beautiful, wholesome experience, yeah. like traveling with my best friend, just beautiful, came back and realized my passion, my why, the reason I've been put on this earth is to empower and inspire those around me to be the best version of themselves in whatever aspect that means, whether it's in business, personal life, friendships, family, whatever. And I became a personal trainer. Yeah. And I learned everything I needed to learn to be a successful business owner during that time. I had the best clients in the world. I was highly successful, highly driven, you know, at the age of what, like 19, I'm basically handed a free gym. I'm given an entire database of 20 years of this man's gym. He's like a veteran in the industry. Um, thank you, Jamie Hayes. I love you. Um, you know, <laughs> Shout he tr- out to Jamie. Yeah, he's unbelievable. He trusted me. I'm like this 19-year-old little adorable passionate thing that's like, you know, will do work as hard as I have to. Hands me this gym to manage and run and, you know, on top of like whatever my own personal clients. And he goes like, go for gold, have fun. And I built this business from zero to 100 in a very short amount of time. And that came from community building, relationship building, um, systems, processes. Like this is the funny thing. I always get asked, where did you learn all of this? Like, was it school? Was it uni? I don't know. I can't tell you. I just know. I know how to run a business. I know how to set up systems, how to create processes, how to be efficient, how to be productive and to continuously assess and change it all the time, all day. And I know how to build teams and I know how to inspire those around me to be their best self. And that's what we did. We had an amazing small group of trainers around us. We had a gym, like two rooms like this basically, and like 200 clients and classes running all day, always packed and full and booked out. And it was the most fun I've ever had in my life. And how long was this for like at the gym? So it would have been, yeah, 19 to 21. Okay, two or three years. Yeah. yeah, and so much fun, just bliss. And during this time, I started another company. It was my first, like, official startup where yeah. I was developing mental health workshops to deliver in high schools, unis, corporate spaces. I had this awesome team of science-driven, you know, psychologists and physiotherapists and exercise scientists writing these programs with me. Um, I then stupidly thought, let's go back to uni. Yeah. Don't know why. Tried to do a business degree and a psychology as a minor. Yeah. I left after like one semester. Yeah, what 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 made you make that decision to go back to uni? I don't know. I yeah. think I, I felt, you know what? I do know. I felt guilty because my grandparents who immigrated here, yeah. you know, in their 20s, didn't get the opportunity to use their success. Like my grandparents are so smart. You know, one worked for NASA in Russia. Like one was a draftsperson architect. The other one was every kind of engineer, mathematician, scientist you can think of. Very bright people. Came here with nothing, end up working like as a bookkeeper and in a factory, you know, or a taxi driver or whatever it is. Um, you know, I felt a lot of guilt to my, to my heritage and to my culture. So did they have expectations of you to, to go to university? Yeah. They were like, 
you dumbass. Like, you're so yeah. smart. Go to uni. But that comes know? out of the the right place. And, like, from yeah. back from, from when they were growing up and then they, they moved here and had that experience, that was genuinely seen as the right thing to do and by a lot of people still is today. But that's such a you know, old school mentality, particularly yeah. immigrating from, from Europe. I imagine that's yeah. even more drilled into them. Absolutely. Look, like my culture, we're actually Ukrainian. Mm. Um, you know, we're f they're coming from a communist anti-Semitic country. Yeah. They're running away. Um, you know, they want their kids and their grandkids to have everything. So, however, I'm the black sheep of the family, okay? Yeah. I'm the naughty one. I'm the rebel. I'm the one that argues and, you know, fights for what I want and I'm not scared to speak up. You know, we're, we're passionate people. <laughs> so it's fine. I got my way. I dropped out. Yeah. They dealt with it. Everything's okay. Yeah. You know. Before we move on, I want to ask about your grandparents. Obviously, they've lived like an incredibly rich and intense life. I'm sure they yeah. would have a lot of experiences. Did they pass on any lessons or messages to you that have stuck with you? Um, I wouldn't necessarily have like specific moments where they're like, here's some advice. Yeah. But I'm surrounded by very strong women. I like, imagine. The, <laughs> No offense, but most of the men in my family are useless, okay? Yeah. My grandfather, beautiful man, I love him to death. He's the most special person to me, but useless in terms of he didn't help immigrate. He didn't do anything. He wasn't the breadwinner for the family. He didn't do anything to support anyone around him. I don't have a relationship with my father. He's even more useless. Yeah. But my mom and my grandma are the most beautifully powerful, independent, strong women, and that's enough to say that if they could get through what they got through, which is – some seriously messed up stories. Don't even want to tell you. Yeah. Um, I'll be fine. Yeah. You know, I'm all right. So look, growing yeah. up with those role models, you think influenced the, the woman you've become? Of like, course. Yeah. It's like, yes, I've been through some really tough times, especially in the last, you know, couple of years actually, but I'm very resilient yep. and I'm incredibly self-empowered to know that no matter how difficult things get, I can get up and I can look after myself and I have so much love in my heart and gratitude and happiness that any bad, dark, negative thing that's happened in my life, it hasn't impacted who I am as a yeah. person and I'm still, you know, I'm not ruined and I don't have baggage and I work on myself so much and I bring so much light around me that, you know, I know I'm going to be okay. How, how did that business in the mental health space in terms of running these programs for high schools or corporate spaces, how did that idea come up? It's just, you know, I I need to be in my element and that's public speaking yeah. and that's sharing my passion and inspiring others and that really for me happens when I talk. Mm. And I just, I started with what I knew. Like I went back to the community, I spoke to all the schools, I spoke to all the unis because I had a direct like contact with them and that's just how it started. Yeah. But the goal and intention was obviously to infiltrate corporate yeah. space and just you know, build a reputation and grow. And it was just something that was helping me fulfill the things I'm passionate about. Yeah. And it just made sense. Yeah. But funnily enough, I wasn't living that life, was I? So uni, running this gym, clients back to back, starting this startup. And then on top of that, I have an addictive personality. I'm an A-type. I need to be the best. I thought, let's compete physically. Yeah, <laughs> on top of everything else you're let's, trying to manage. Let's like lift some heavy shit. You know, I was just a gym junkie. I was so everywhere. What sort of comp are you doing? Like, Not not like physique on stage or anything like crazy like yeah. that. I, I trained a lot of people to be yeah. on stage. Yeah. I just like I knew I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. But just, you know, like powerlifting, like just fun, crazy, 
not even not CrossFit, but just like those crazy comps that are like small and you internal. Think that, that came from like a bit of your addictive personality to of take course. it to the extreme. I just had so much fun. Yeah. Like it's just the most amazing lifestyle to be in that fitness industry. And you know, I'd be going to conferences like Filex, which are three yeah. day fitness expos where all you do twelve hours a day is work out yeah, wow. with other cool people, yeah. and you learn from like all the best. And I just anything I could do to be better and the best in the industry. You know, it was all about just like diving into what is accessible, mm-hmm. you know, to me. Yep. Yeah. And then what happened from yeah. from there? <laughs> the the uncomplicated version is I woke up one day and I couldn't move. Literally. Just out of nowhere. Well, look, now that I, I spent a long time looking back and analysing it, there were signs. I was just ignoring them. I remember showing up to teach clients and I was so unwell and so weak and so physically just done like I'd have to sit on a stool and teach like it's like I blacked those memories out but they were there I had those days but I would push through and then I'd like get through a full day of work and then train myself for like three hours at 10 p.m. Did you question why that was happening at the time or you just thought I've got to work through it? I think I knew I was depressed yeah I think I knew deep down I was just it was all a coping mechanism all a distraction didn't have to deal with myself or my life um, and yeah, and I woke up that morning in 10 out of 10 chronic pain. Wow. Like I would never on my worst enemy wish what I felt. And, on anyone. and, and was this when the chronic fatigue came or was this was the, uh, what's the word? Fibromyalgia. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's rather complex. I don't understand. No one really understands what happened to me or what's wrong with me. Let's just call it autoimmune mm-hmm. and no one really understands. That's the whole autoimmune thing, yeah. right? When they can't really describe what it is, yeah. they just throw it in that basket, right? Look, I had chronic fatigue since eight years old. Really? Which was onset through trauma. Okay. And I had been unwell my whole life. I had year 10, year nine and year 10 where I didn't go to high school. I was basically in bed or in hospital. Mm. And that was another bout of like, not burnout, but real autoimmune dysfunctionality. What did you use to get, get out of these like struggles? Mm. Honestly, it was, I think it was very much mental health related. Like the worst depression I had was that grade nine and 10. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was just two years that I blacked out in my life. I can't even tell you what happened in those two years. I, I have no indication of it, but I know the morning I woke up and said, I'm, I'm ready to feel better. Really? And I said that to myself. And from that day on, every single day, I did whatever I had to go to the beach, stand on the sand, meditate, yoga, work out again, go for walks, whatever I had to do to get to not like a functional state. And that's always been like that for me. It's it's a mental decision, right? I'm going to, how long can you feel sorry for yourself? Yeah. <laughs> how long can you sit in the shit and let yourself sit there? And until you're ready, you won't feel better, basically. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that day you woke up and you decided, that's it, I've had enough, I'm going to be better. I can't, I don't have a lot of clear memories. This is the truth. Yeah. I, there's not a lot I remember. There's pinnacle little moments. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was in year, what, year 10, yeah. year 11, whatever it was. And I just, I just was sick of it. I didn't have an answer for myself. I didn't know why I was so depressed. I There's nothing wrong. I had a beautiful life, beautiful friends, you know, mom that loves me, like all good in the hood, like no real, like anything going on. It's chemical, right? A lot of the time it really is just whatever's happening in your body. 
I was just ready. I was like, I'm sick of trying to give people the answer of what's wrong with me. I'm just ready to feel better. Yeah. So now your relationship with managing mental health and self-love, what does that look like today? It's very important. So, I mean, to backtrack slightly, that morning when I woke up in chronic pain, this was back in 2016, um, you know, I felt like I lost everything because I was essentially immobile. Like I could not move. I could not lift a glass up myself. I could not stand up. I was sent to the emergency and I was put on so many drugs, so much morphine, so much cortisol and, you know, to try and reduce this pain. And then I went through a three to six month stint of, you know, pretty much being with a walking stick if I was lucky enough to leave the house myself. And I remember saying to myself, you've got three months to feel like shit. You gave yourself a time. You've got three months to feel everything. Be as depressed as you need. Cry every day if you have to. I didn't know if I was going to walk again. I had doctors telling me you are going to get worse. You're going to end up in a wheelchair. You're going to be on drugs for the rest of your life. Good luck, babe. We don't know what's wrong with you. Did you believe them or you knew? I didn't care. Okay. I didn't take anything they gave me. I said, you can keep telling me whatever you want. I'm going to sort myself out. Don't worry. Yeah. I'm fine. If that's your view, then I'll see it's somebody else. And you mentioned like a, a therapist before. Have you spoken to th- like a therapist about this sort of stuff? Yeah, it was actually a therapist that figured out what was, what the diagnosis was. Okay. How did that happen? Yeah, I was explaining to her, like, obviously it was quite a traumatic time. I really was crying every day. It was just like your brain can't comprehend being Mm -hmm. going from obsessed with exercise and moving and your whole life is about physical movement to, like, not being able to sit up. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, it was just a a very important recovery aspect is seeing somebody, you know, almost twice a week for a while and I was giving her all the symptoms of what I'm feeling and she like, she cuts me off and she's like, let me look at something. Yeah. <laughs> and she starts like typing away at her computer. She goes, writes this long word down that I don't understand. It's yeah. fibromyalgia. And she's like, give this to your doctor and ask him to test you. Wow. And I'm like, great. Sure. So was there treatments for that or because it's autoimmune, there's not really much? This is the answer I got from the number one specialist in the country. He looked at me in the eye and he said, I can't help you. You're one of those special cases. We're probably going to use you to, to study from. And I, and what are you supposed to say to that? I'm 21 years old. Like, what do you do with that information? Had you withdrawn at that point or what's going through your head? I, all I remember was devastated. I was devastated because I've spent since eight years old feeling like shit (laughs) and having no support to make me feel better. So imagine from about that eight year old age, I have not had a single day in my life where I'm not in physical pain. I'm not in exhaustion or in some kind of, you know, lacking of whatever it is. So my, you know, feeling optimal, feeling really good is probably like somebody else feeling 40%, you know, and even now I've come so far and I've, I feel so amazing and my optimal is still probably somebody 60%. So how do you on that, how do you generate, how do you go about generating energy and motivation for yourself to get to the day, but at the same time balancing that with not pushing your body too hard to, 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 you know, fall into burnout again? It's so hard. Mm. And, it, and my body changes all the time. So I've never picked the perfect formula. It, do, it doesn't exist. So yeah. it's consistent self-awareness, taking time to check in with yourself, having a deep connection 
to your body and listening to it, that's a lot of therapy got me there. Yep. A lot of work on myself where, you know, really, like you said, cutting the bullshit, letting go of the ego and actually assessing yourself and being connected to yourself. And it took me years to understand what that meant. And there's no perfect formula. And I failed at it many, many times. I can't tell because if we talk about what soul business success looked like at its optimal, you know, peak before COVID, I was never in the country for more than two weeks at a time. We're doing upwards of 50 trade shows globally. I have an office in London, a team all over like the UK and Europe, Auckland team, Sydney team. There's a lot going on and I don't have a minute to myself. Tell me how many times I ended up in hospital or, you know, burning out for two weeks or, you know, whatever it is. And that's, I want to ask you a question about that. Let's call it a tactic that you said to yourself. I'm going to give myself three months. I'm going to be as sad as I want. I'm going to cry if I want to. I'm going to feel sorry for myself, but that's, but that's it. Did you, is that an actual technique that like therapists like would recommend or use? Because I just, you already said that. And obviously it's a much smaller example, but sometimes, you know, those days in business, you have them and just everything's going wrong. And it's just like one thing after another. And you know, those days happened. And a lot of the times I'm like, cop it on the chin and you just keep working forward, set a plan. How am I going to overcome these problems? But sometimes it just gets to a certain point and it might only be like 5.30 and I'll be like, you know what? That's it. I've had enough of today. I'm just going to whatever I need to take time just to, there's been so many problems and so much stress. And if I keep pushing myself through this today, it's not going to make me feel good. So sometimes I'm just like, screw this. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm going to watch a movie. I'm going to go for a run. I'm just going to stop working way earlier than I would and I'm going to deal with it tomorrow. And giving myself that time to just, wouldn't say feel sorry decompress. for but decompress yeah. works for me. So I was wondering, that sounds like something, is that something that is recommended or just worked for you? Look at it this way. In that circumstance, no one told me to do that. That was my own awareness yeah. and coping mechanism. But it taught me a valuable lesson that if I don't feel my feelings and if I don't let myself have that moment, it doesn't, like you don't process it mm-hmm. and you hold on to it and you store it and you get sicker. And that is the story of my life. I am an emotional sponge. I'm an empathetic person. I store information. I find it hard to let go of things. And then I also absorb other people's stuff and other people's feelings. I'm like literally a sponge. They call me SpongeBob. Is that like (laughs) an empath? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm quite like it's an I'm an extreme version of it. So it took me that experience to basically say, like, mate, if you don't learn to implement that into a daily process, yeah. you're never going to, like, you're not going to function. You're going to, like, you're going to end up dead, basically, mm-hmm. before you get to 23. Yeah. Now, is it off the back of this coming out of that and that recovery that s- started soul? Is this when soul, Yeah. those little seeds of soul began to, yeah. to start? I'll give you the, the basically, I, I don't have the exact moment it happened, but it started once I was sort of back home and in recovery and it was a conversation as a family that we kept having. And for context, my family's business, which myself and my brother are very heavily involved in, we're in an incredibly enmeshed family. We're all involved in each other's companies. Um, We have a promotional products company and my father and mother started it many, many years ago, basically manufacturing key rings for Quicksilver and Roxy. And I grew up in the factory and I grew up working with them. So the idea of product development 
is like my middle name. Yeah. Okay. Like we You've just been around it your whole we life. just know. We know what to do. We know how to make things happen. We have relationships with offshore manufacturing now for forty plus years. Obviously not me, yeah. <laughs> not that old. Um, but that's all I know. That's what I live and breathe. So when we as a family discovered this idea, we fell in love with hand blown glass. And my mom and I are very stylish and we love beautiful, high quality things. We don't spend a lot of money and we don't buy a lot of stuff. I'm very minimalistic. I have like three outfits, like the shoes I'm wearing I've owned for 15 years. Like it's not like we're very minimal people, but we love high quality stuff. And mom and I always had this dream of launching a homewares range with hand-blown glass. And I was very passionate about the environment and sustainability and health. And I thought, how can we create something that is a platform for education that we can share our obsession with health because my mom also has an autoimmune condition and we spent the last 20 years of my life learning about mine and hers. How can we create something that allows us to have a platform for education, inspire people, have it be this the healthiest product in the world but also the quality that we're so obsessed with? Yeah. And that's how the Soul Cup was born. Yep. And it happened while I was basically in bed. And when did you guys launch? 2016. Now I heard a story about you in like the two weeks before you, yeah. like the two weeks before you even had the final physical sample. Can you sell something like 6,000 units pre-sale? Yeah. So it was, it, I love this story. I had this goal. I'm, I'm sitting, literally it's just me and a laptop, right? Yeah. At like Cali Press on Hall Street in Bondi or like Gertrude Alice and working and making phone calls all day and, and I had this one clear vision. It's every single cafe and, and coffee roaster has to know me by first and last name. Yep. And that's goal number one and you've got, you know, six months to do it. And basically we had to, because it's all self-funded. I didn't, we didn't yeah. have investors. It's whatever I had in my pocket and whatever mum had. And we had to commit to purchasing a small container, which is actually 8,000 cups. Yeah, because a lot of people don't start with 8,000 units when they start a business. They start with like, you know, air freight 200 max. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't do things small. Yeah. And this is my mentality of if I'm going to do something, I do it better than anyone. Mm-hmm. So basically mum's looking at me and she's like, okay, well, we'll press go. We'll, we'll buy this container. We picked our colors. We did the packaging. I mean, that's a whole other story of product development the psychology and the process that I put in to get the product to where it is now, you can imagine how much attention to detail. What did did some of those like moments look like? I fought for that box like you have no idea because I designed it so specifically so that when you the consumer opens it, it releases just the amount of oxytocin and serotonin that makes you slightly addicted to it, just like Mm -hmm. an iPhone box. There's a lot of work that goes involved, the colours, positioning the text, the design, the functionality, the colors, like every color was picked and produced based on the reaction a human has when they see it. Like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, Like there's a process to everything. And, you know, they were like, okay, we can do this. It's 8,000 cups. It's a lot of money to outlay, but we believe in you. You've got six weeks to sell it. And we did it in two. And you had to back yourself. If you order 8,000 yeah. units, you have to go Absolutely. All in. With that process you were just talking about, how long did that take? Eight whole, months. Eight months. See, that, that's the thing. Sometimes people expect to launch a business in three months. And I remember me, me and my, like I, I launched Happy Skin Co. with a friend named George and we had to move back our launch date like two, three times I'm because sure. like 
just the ex- and we're like, oh no, we're being lazy. You know, you need to set a day and you got to work to it. But I'm like, we would have been sacrificing so much to do that. And I realize now, like, you can't rush these things. Um, okay, so first six thousand, you sold it pre-sale. I actually want to know because I think it's such a valuable story. Tell me the process. You say, okay, I'm going to go into this cafe, and obviously, it's about building relationship, but. Tell me that process from the moment you walk into a cafe you've never been yeah, into like, before. This is like my joy. It's like going on a blind date, you know. I just, I just, it's so much fun because it's where I get to use my brain. It's the human behavior aspect. It's psychology. It's like how do you control the space and the environment but make them feel safe and loved and supported. It's sales, right? Yeah. But how do you turn sales into authenticity and building a real friendship and relationship? Because the stockists I have in 2016 are still my stockists today. So, and also just a sidebar, we were not an e-commerce business. This is a different ball game. Mm. We are wholesale and B2B. Yeah. So I didn't have the trauma of building a website yeah. and worrying about Instagram and influencers. Yeah. I didn't give a shit. I was building a beautiful community on socials. I started with zero followers. I ran it myself. Yeah. We didn't have ads, Facebook. None of that mattered to me. What mattered was every coffee shop in Australia, in Sydney, in Melbourne, and wherever, had to have our product yep. on their shop front. Everyone had to see Seoul. And that's what, exactly what happened. And that that experience was I walk in. Okay, let's talk about coffee, right? I walk in and I walk straight up to the barista. I'm not looking for the manager or the, or the owner. I'm going barista. And I'm going, hey, man, like I want to show you something. Yeah. I'm working on this amazing product. Can you please give me some feedback? I need to know, does it fit under the, you know, is it, is, is it fitting perfectly? What's the pour like? What's it like when you hold it? How's it keeping temperature? Was it easy to put the lid on? Do you like the color? Yeah. Like, give me your vibe. What's your, what do you think of this? And, you know, they'd open it and be like, what is this? Like, <laughs> yeah. What is a reasonable cup and why on earth do I need it? And you know, or they'd give me some love and be like, yeah, like this is really cool. It's so beautiful. And that was the first point of contact. Whether or not they showed anyone else or spoke to the manager, that did not matter to me. I just wanted the coffee industry to feel like they knew me. They were starting to get to see my face and know this product. But I can tell you almost every single time I did that, straight away, they're like, you know, hold on. They here. I need to show the manager. I need yeah. to show my boss. And he'd come running or she'd come running and they'd have a look and they'd be like, yes, can I put my logo on it? Yeah, you can actually. Like, <laughs> no worries. Like I was revolutionizing the co-branding yeah. aspect. And they're like, is there a minimum? Like, is it going to be really expensive? And, you know, actually it's super affordable and, and quick turnaround time. Like, you know, I'll get it to you next week. Like, let's put an order through and we'd sit down and we'd make it happen. And there you go, done. Do you guys do the printing of like the the, the branding in, in Australia? Yeah, yeah. So every country that we operate in has its own local printer and yeah. warehouse. So everything is localized. And that will go on like the sleeves and the lid or like? Just the sleeve. Yeah. yeah. So just on the opposite side of yeah. our logo. Yeah. That's so smart. Well, that basically, I can tell you now, even to this day, you know, a good 80% of our revenue is from co-branding and corporate orders. Mm. Think every big company off the top of your head, and I can guarantee you 50 bucks, I've probably got them reusable cups with their logo on it. And that's a global level. And that's from the accessibility, the ease, the price, the turnaround time, and amazing customer service. And how do you move from going into cafes, because it's quite easy, you can walk in, build that relationship, come back as many times as you want, 
But how do you transition from cafes, restaurants, bars to some of these big corporate places where you can't just necessarily walk in and use that little tactic? Uh, obviously there's quite the traditional, you know, phone and, mm-hmm. and email, but I'll tell you how it started. Yep. For two years, I did the Bondo markets every Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Did not miss a day. And the first big client we ever got was JP Morgan and they ordered something like 5,000 cups in one color with their logo on it. And I didn't have that stock. Yeah. Like I was like, I have like 200 available, <laughs> like max. Yeah. So they did their first custom order. So direct from factory, manufactured, offshore, direct to door. Didn't yeah. touch my hands. I'm like, okay, here we go. This is what we're doing. That's business. This right? is happening. Let's. Yeah. This is starting. And I'm telling you, between 2016 to 2018, we grew so quickly. I went from me on a laptop to an office of like 15 to launching New Zealand company because everything's separate, to launching the UK company, to having an office in London with five employees, to like not knowing what to do with myself and my time and how quickly everything was just growing, to like landing, you know, one of the biggest European franchise clients in the world and signing contracts and distributors and launching in Japan and Hong Kong and Korea and Malaysia and, you know, like it just – was it was unbelievable growth. What moment are you most proud of? I'm proud of everything. I can't I can't pinpoint a moment. I'm just I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of my team. I'm proud of my mum. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's still my business partner today. And I'm just I'm just proud that we're making change and actually having a positive impact on the world around us. Was there a moment for you where maybe it was that JP Morgan moment where you realized okay, life is starting to get a little bit different now. It happened to me when I first flew to London and I did my first big London coffee festival trade show. And if you've never heard of it, to give you context, they let 3,000 new people in every three hours over a four-day period. And the line, like I remember filming it, that was the moment for sure. Um, From the door to like, you know, people Mm. waiting in line, it was like a seven-minute video. Wow. And we got over the UK and Europe, like our first, you know, thousand stockists in a three-day period. And From the trade show. So the, the trade show is like the best way for you guys to sign up at the time. At the time. At the time, trade shows were vital to mm. actually expanding our reach because all the stockers come there, all the department stores go there, all the big corporates are there. You know, everyone in the coffee industry is there. So you build that relationship. And then we've got gift and homeware trade shows, you know, premium boutique shows. Like, you know, I'm flying all over the world doing this stuff. I love that so much. Like the, the more conversations I have with people, I just realize I've already realized that, of course, but like there's so many different ways you can go about setting up and growing a business. Like that's so different to my journey. And like trade shows is something that I wouldn't even have thought thought of when it's such a core like part of your business. Now, was it? London office or New Zealand yeah. office? That was the first one that Both you opened. simultaneously, Both? How yeah. Do you, how do you open an office in a new country? You just get over there and yeah. make shit happen. It's it, it's setting up a new company. So like you yeah. would in Australia, you have to go through that whole process of registering, opening bank accounts, um, you know, proving all the, all the information is legal and correct and then setting it all up because yeah. you can't legally import goods into the country without being a registered business. Yeah. So it's a process, but you can learn and we mm. learned on the fly and that's what we did. What do you think has been your hardest day in business so far? 
my hardest day in business was, okay, I flew back from Japan when lockdown first started Mm. happening. I was just signing a contract with a big department store. And I got called back early to Sydney because we're about to go in lockdown. And that month was the biggest month in sales in history of our business in time. I can't tell you the number, but it was astronomical. And the hardest day was the biggest part of that month's sales had decided to pull out because of lockdown, because of COVID happening in Europe. And I convinced them to keep a portion of it because they had prepaid a deposit. But losing that relationship and that opportunity, which, look, we might get back there, like, you know, we're we're communicating now, was so devastating because we had so much happening in that month of new product launches, new category launches, um, you know, needing new staff and new teams to be employed in international stuff we're about to launch in throughout Asia and to lose this month of like what it should have been and to basically almost have to start from zero within like a three-month period, that has been the biggest, most difficult thing I've experienced in business. What did you do that night you found out? I don't think I slept. I think I just went for a very long walk (laughs) because that's my therapy Um, and just – you know, had to talk it out with, with mum and, and just be like, okay, well, what's the game plan? And we just started planning for the next quarter. How much did COVID change your business? Because it had either a really Maybe. good or a very negative impact on people's business, it seems. I lost 90% of my business overnight. It was devastating because we were a wholesale and B2B company, not an e-commerce. So exactly as you think, we shifted. Shifted. And the fact that I'm still here and standing and we're still functional and successful and we survived, very proud of myself, very proud of my team. And we now are on a beautiful journey back upwards to where we were and to surpass that as well. But the hardest time of my life as a, I don't even know how, I grew up with this company. I'm 28 now. You know, I was 22 when we started. Like you just, I was besides myself. I'm like, where has the last seven years gone? Everything I worked hard for has disappeared. And what did that period teach you about yourself? How resilient resilient I am and how no matter what goes my gets thrown in my face or what happens, there's always a solution. What do you think your message is? Through everything you've had to struggle through and then overcome and thrive on the other side of, what do you think your main message is, Rebecca's message? There is always a solution. You can't have solution without soul. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I mean that, you know, S-O-U-L as well. Yeah. Like it, it, it's the, the message is that life is hard and everyone goes through things, but you don't have to sit in the rain and complain about it. You can open an umbrella. Because you, you know? do some like one-on-one consulting and mentoring, right? Yeah. What are these people coming to you for help with generally? Mindset mindset. They always have amazing business ideas. You look at it and you're like, you're a genius. I wish I came up with that. That's phenomenal. And then number one struggle is productivity, creating clean, simple systems, um, having value of their own time and also confidence. Mm. And as you know, as a successful business owner, you have to be so aware of yourself and your 
you know, things that maybe you're not very good at, your weaknesses, maybe you're impatient, maybe you, ha- you get angry easy, maybe, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you have to know yourself so well so you can support yourself. Yeah. And, yeah, what always comes up with my coaching clients is can you be an empowered version of yourself? Like can you stand up into your into your worth? Because right now you're talking as if you've failed. I need you to talk as if you've already done it and achieved and are successful and then let's just – write down the things that will get you there and let's just do them. Now your growth journey you've gone on, have you had to do like a lot of reading or studying about psychology, about mindset, or do you feel like life has kind of taught you these things on its own? Bit of both. Yeah. I, I think I've been through a lot in my life. I pr- haven't really, I think the the hardest thing I ever experienced in my life was the relationship I just got out of. Yeah. That taught me everything. We can talk about it later. Um, I read so many books. I am always surrounded by a mentor or people that are smarter than me. I am very big on education and learning, but I have been through so much. I have been through so many horrible things in my life that without them, I wouldn't have the deep understanding of myself and people. And I think that is a big testament to my success and why I have such a strong, amazing team and why even in the shit we're still doing better than a lot of other businesses yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. Now that relationship, um, let's unpack that a little bit. Do you feel like business impacted or has impacted your ability to have these relationships or it's a positive thing if you meet the right person? I always put love first. I'm a big romantic and I will always put family, friends and love before anything else because it's what makes me happy because it's people, right? Um, I've never had an issue where my relationship was impacted because of work, but I've had many issues where my work is impacted because of my relationship, because it's such an emotional toll if it goes wrong. And the last three years I've been in a very emotionally abusive relationship and I managed to finally get the strength and the willpower and the self-love to walk away. And that happened very recently. And I think that transformed my whole life. Yeah, that's a massive shift, right? Huge. I I can't even tell you. And to get to this point in my life now through everything that I've experienced, whether it was work or this relationship, to know how happy I am in this moment is not worth anything in the world. Like you can't put a dollar value on it. And how, like what would your advice be to someone who's in a relationship where they know it's emotionally abusive and, and, and a drag on their life? How do you navigate that and how do you step outside of that knowing that, hey, it is all fresh and new and potentially scary, but like it is beautiful on the other side? Mm, it's very hard. And my advice is you need to get yourself in a safe environment. So if you're lucky enough not to live with that person, it's much easier. So surround yourself with friends, family, and a very good support system, whether it's a therapist or a counselor or anything, and you need to communicate what you need. And what you need is support to remove yourself from the situation. If you're like me, where you actually lived with a person, it's a lot more complicated. It's like that on steroids. It's like, how can you constantly surround yourself with support? Because if you're stuck in ego, like, I don't need help, everything's okay, well, then you're not ready to leave that situation anyway. You know, and it takes time. You have to be kind to yourself. You have to give yourself as much compassion and empathy as you would anybody else because that until you get to a place of strength and real self-love and, you know, internal boundaries, 
it's impossible to leave a scenario that you don't even know you need to leave. Do people ever blame themselves when they're in these sorts of, of situations? I blame myself. I completely, you have to blame yourself. You have to hold responsibility for the fact that you're allowing something to occur. Like it doesn't matter how bad the scenario is. If you choose to stay, then you're responsible for your choice. So it doesn't matter how much my family and my friends screamed at me and said, can you leave this asshole? And can't you see, like, open your eyes. Can't you see what this person's doing to you? And I'm sitting there defending him. I'm delusional. That's my Mm. choice. That's me not being accountable for my actions. And until I learned that lesson, I couldn't do anything looking back on that were you truly delusional or did a part of you know that this wasn't right for you of course I knew the whole time I was devastated I was depressed I was unhappy and but I felt trapped I'm still a human I'm still you know I'll I'll have my own things that I haven't worked on or haven't figured out how to navigate or support myself through whatever traumas I've got and I was fully aware of how unhappy I was but I also had this horrible um weight on my shoulders of like, but how do I leave? Like, how do I physically move? Like, you know, how do I move myself? It's very hard when you're in it. And how long was that period where you knew, hey, something's not right? From the beginning. From the beginning. Yeah. Why do you think it took you so long to to make that change? What was holding you back I, or what holds people back? In I was situation? attached to a very unhealthy cycle and it was obviously meeting a familiar need and of whatever I went through in my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And now you as Rebecca, how do you ensure this doesn't happen again? I learned my lesson. You, learned your lesson. you can't ensure it doesn't happen again. You need to consistently work on yourself. Yeah. Like I was presented with a situation a, like a week ago where if I wasn't in my like healthy happy state, I probably would have fallen into a repetitive cycle. And I'm so proud of myself that I didn't. And I'm like, yes, you learned your lesson. I'm so like, good job. Um, But it takes a lot of work and that self-awareness and consistency and being surrounded by beautiful people. And it's like a business, right? It's, you need to be working on yourself all the time to be getting growth and, you know, success and optimization and innovation, you need to be aware and self-aware of yourself and the environment and its impact on you. Okay. So if this chapter of your life right now was, was a chapter in a book, what, what would it be called? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. (laughs) What would it be called? Um, I think self-love as cliche as that is, because I needed to get to that point to respect myself enough to leave a difficult situation. So where do you go next? What's next in life and business? Oh my God, there's so many things happening. The plans we have for the next six months for Seoul are undeniably exciting. I'm launching um, our homewares range, which I've been working on for a while. So we'll be launching Seoul Home and Seoul Kids, which is the next stage of the company's growth and most likely uh, venturing into the US as well. So what what are the products that you guys range now? Now it's reusable cups, reusable water bottles, everything from hand-blown glass, but then our accessories range. We've got charcoal filter sticks, which just quietly are going to revolutionize how we filter tap water. Charcoal filter sticks, what are they? Okay, think about this. You've got a Brita plastic water filter that you buy at Woolies that costs you like 60 bucks. And every three months you need to buy pay another 50 bucks for three months worth of plastic filters to filter your tap water. 
I'm giving you the stuff that's inside the filter (laughs) that you don't need to coat in plastic that you can bury in soil after three months when it's like used up. And it's the most ancient technique of absorbing nasties and impurities. Like if you, God forbid, went to hospital with alcohol poisoning, they're still pumping your stomach with charcoal. (laughs) It's still how it works. So we have these beautiful Minchotan activated charcoal sticks. You pop them in your water bottle or your carafe. Three hours later, you got filtered water. Just like that. And it dissolves. Can you taste it? Can't taste it. The water tastes better cleaner. Yeah, I can't drink tap water. Everything's like filtered. Yeah, you've got some in your little tote bag. You can try that. Oh, sick. Yeah, That's epic. Yeah. Cool. So things like that, just innovative solutions. We've got straws, we've got tote bags, we've got all the things you'd need to begin a journey in a more sustainable way. Yeah. And what about yourself following your purpose, your passions? Where do you think that'll lead you? Whether it's speaking, podcasting, what do you think? Where are you going with that? I have a big plans. Um, I'm writing a book. I will do a TED talk. (laughs) Just you wait. Um, And I'm very much going to start venturing into the world of investing and ensuring my mentoring and supportive coaching grows and that company grows. Um, And I've got, yeah, I've got some very big plans on that side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for anyone who wants to buy these beautiful products, which I'm so lucky, I'm going to get them out and show them soon. Where can they uh, purchase Soul Cups? Soulcups.com. There we go. It's the best way to go. <laughs> and then you're Rebecca Vexler on yeah. pretty much everything. Yeah, right? yeah. If anything I can do for anyone, send me a DM. I'm always happy yeah. to listen and support. Well, I just want to thank you so much for coming in. I think thank your story, you. there's so much in that, but like the main thing for people that are struggling and feel like I can't you know, be successful because of X, Y, Z in my life. I think you're a, a really good example of, yes, you can, and it might not always be easy and you might not always feel like you want to, but there is a path out of yeah. it. And like, look how much you're thriving now. And like each new year is going to bring a new challenge that you overcome and Absolutely. then you'll grow and you'll be, you know, an even more fuller human being on the other side of it. So thank you for, for coming in, giving us your time and everything you do. I really do appreciate it. And my awesome uh, gifts that I'm so excited to, uh, I'm so excited to crack open. Amazing. No, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks Beck. You're a legend. All right, there we go. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, could you please do me a quick favor and hit the follow or subscribe button? I honestly appreciate it more than you know. Thanks again. And I'll see you next time.